I think a lot of the magic happens in the little moments. So gathering is putting those people together in a room, whether it's virtually or otherwise, and then creating that space for people to be able to engage. But people are hungry for leadership. So you can't just stick them in a room and leave them to their own devices. You have to set the stage. You have to give people handles with which to engage with each other and then let the magic happen. My favorite part of any event is when all the introductions are made all the wallflowers have been brought into the conversation. Everybody's animatedly talking to each other and I just get to stand back. There's always that moment at every event and I say, my work here is done. Welcome to the Good Life Coach Podcast. I am your host, Michelle Lamoureux. The intention of this show is to awaken you to your fullest potential. Join me each week for inspiring interviews to elevate an area of your life, as well as interviews with women entrepreneurs who are creating success on their own terms. Each episode provides actionable tips to guide you to design a life you love. Hey there, it's Michelle Lamoureux, and welcome back to the Good Life Coach Podcast. Joining us today is Joya Das, who was one of the first South Asian females to be seen on mainstream television in the United States. She's been a business anchor for major networks for the last 15 years, delivering, delivering lively, delivering live hourly reports from the floor of the New York Stock Exchange for Bloomberg, CNN, ABC, CBS, New York One News. And Joy is currently focused on cultivating women leaders through her Women's Leadership Academy. And today we're having an interesting conversation because Joya has a very unique skill set because she had this amazing career, which was her dream job of being uh, an anchor and pivoted and um, has cultivated these really meaningful and interesting, unique networking and gathering opportunities for women. And she's going to talk to us more about how we can be doing that since so many of us are feeling so isolated. So welcome back, Joya. This is the second time you've been on the show, actually. And Michelle, I love being in conversation with you because I feel like we talk about such interesting things together. So thank you for having me, but it's always a pleasure. Yay. Yeah. And I'll link our first interview and the show notes for today are going to be able to be found at thegoodlifecoach.com. So you can head on over after the interview and check out all the resources that we discussed today. Um, It's always nice to just get sort of a foundation and an understanding of the guests. So tell us, I mean, you did pivot. You were an anchor for so many years. You That was literally your dream from the time you were a young girl. And now you're doing this really impactful thing, helping women leaders really show up in the world. Um, tell us how you got there. I had wanted to be a television news anchor, a journalist since I was four years old. Every night, my dad would sit and watch uh, Nightly News with Tom Brokaw at 6.30 on the dot. And I would sit by his feet on the floor and I would watch with him. And I think for my dad, watching the news every night was patently being American. And for me, it was my future. Now, the problem is that because I'm also born to Indian immigrant parents, me announcing to them at a very young age that this is what I wanted to do didn't sit well. They didn't even, it's too foreign to them. Like they didn't know how to support a dream like this and then double that for a girl. So I'm not somebody who's ever been programmed to live my life by anybody else's terms. So I left home at 18 and I paid for college by myself and I paid for grad school by myself and I paid for every move around the country to come to New York and realize my childhood dream 
of becoming a news anchor. Now, how my business today fits into that into that personal story is this. I came out of my parents' home not knowing anybody in journalism, and I needed to build that network to get here. You don't show up in New York and get anointed in such a high-profile position. I really had to figure out who I needed to surround myself with in order to get here, and nobody teaches you that. Nobody teaches you that. And then even when you learn, like, where do you go to practice until you get good at it? I had to learn all of this by myself, and I realized that there was a real pain point in the market, especially for Indian women. Like, I lived such a sheltered life. I didn't learn anything in the way of street smarts. So I was going to create the platform for women to be able to come and be able to learn and never, ever, ever be intimidated by being in front of a CEO and being able to ask a question. Mm. So the way that I drive my women's leadership platform today, there's several ways that I drive it. But one of them is that I interview a CEO every week because who better to learn from than somebody who's already ostensibly successful in business. But that was my cadence on the trading floor. I was interviewing either the opening bell or closing bell CEO. So I've really taken that and transcended and transposed that into how I drive programming for my, for my platform today. But the other piece of it, and my friends had been saying this to me, all along, which is Joya, I don't know about this old TV thing, but you are great at putting on events and not just regular events. Like you go and rent out a schooner and we do a wine tasting on it <laughs> out in New York Harbor. Like what, what is this? Like you shouldn't be on TV. You should be doing this for a living because it gave people so much joy. It gave me so much joy. Yeah. So 10 clicks later, I decided to launch this, uh, leadership platform. It's going to be 10 years old next year. But one of the main heartbeats, the one of the core things that drive my programming is that I do events because I get so much joy out of them. And I have this unique superpower to put on things that not only are over the top and unique, but also manages to bring a lot of people together that makes sense. You can put people in a room together, but they may not make sense. And I have a real good eye for figuring out who fits. Yeah, you definitely do. And actually, I attended one of the events that you did. It was pre-pandemic. It was in San Diego at a museum. Um, And it was the most interesting group of women. And it was a range of ages. I mean, women, you know, in their 20s to women in their 60s. And uh, it was one of I had had so I had so much fun. I was like, oh, this is this group. I would never have met this group of women. And yeah. um, you know, was there a common link? Did we all work at the same company? No, none of us knew <laughs> each other, right? So the fact that you pulled that together was I just thought fantastic. And um, and I want to dive into that a little bit more today. But I just want to touch upon something you said. You left your home at eighteen. You went to New York. You resourced. You sourced. You learned. You 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 persevered in the first interview that I had with you, we were talking about the importance of perseverance. And I think that there's something happening in our culture right now uh, in society, at least here in the United States, where people are just feeling like things should just be falling to their lap. Or mm-hmm. I don't know, this whole great resignation. I have somebody coming on to talk about that. I mean, people just jumping ship and there may be a time and place for that. Um, but things you can't expect things to be handed to you. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we're of a generation and we both have immigrant parents where you're taught the value of hard work and being resourceful and making your own way. It's just an interesting time right now. So I think perseverance is very important. Yeah. I mean, look, let's whittle it down to like a basic thing in, in sales and business. 
People need to hear things seven times before they actually take action. Yep. You have to follow up anywhere between seven and nine times before somebody actually converts. Or you've had to have seven to nine touch points before someone actually converts. So why would that be any different when you actually want to create big things? Your perseverance, your grit, your showing up, even when things aren't easy, is definitely going to prove results, not right away, but over time. But if you're not showing up, it's like going to the gym. Well, I joined the gym a month ago, but why haven't I lost any weight? Well, because you haven't showed up. You know what I mean? Like the gym's not going to do the work for you. You're the one that it, that's on you. That's right. And you talked about, you know, the fact that nobody's really out there teaching this, which is why you've stepped forward and said, Hey, I want to be a resource. I want to be a guide to other women who want to make the C-suite, you know, and they're toiling away just as maybe as hard as their counterpart, maybe who's a male or even somebody else who's better at the networking or the asking, right. And not just assuming that they're going to be taken care of because of the effort that was put in. I, you know, this weekend I was out with some friends out East and this conversation came up. One of the gals said, I want to build a Richard Branson level of network. She wants to become partner at her firm. And she's like, so how do I do that? And I'm like, you already have the network. You're just not leveraging any of the relationships. You probably are six degrees away from a Richard Branson, but you haven't actually looked and mined your network to see who do I need to build a relationship with so that I can build my way up to that or get invited to Necker Island or get invited to something that's similar? And she's like, well, how do I do that? Like, how do I network with somebody in my, in my, in my, um, in my universe? And I was like, well, it starts by adding value. You have to do a lot of listening. You know, you have to go in knowing that you're building a relationship here, which means that you have to listen and then there people are going to give you clues. You ask enough questions, this person's telling you about how they're going to Sedona for the first time and they don't know where they should stay and they don't know what you know rocks they should climb. But you have been to Sedona. You 100% can add value to that person's life by saying, hey, you know, I went to Sedona last year. Here's the hotel I stayed at. I know that you said that you were interested in hiking. Here's some trails I recommend. Boom. You've made a relationship and you've added value. That person's going to remember you because of that. And that's such a basic part of networking that I don't understand why I even had to explain it, but I did. It's interesting. I mean, and what you're also talking about is just making meaningful connection. Like you're, like you said, you use the word listening you were listening. And I think women like to be in service. We like to help. So somebody has a problem and we want to solve it. I think women's problem oftentimes is that they feel like they're supposed to have all the answers and they're afraid to ask. Do you see this with the women that you work with? I'm a hundred percent guilty of that. My perfectionism gets in my way. My business coach told me this yesterday. Um, <laughs> You know, a, a prime example, a lot of women don't know how to use Twitter and they're like, oh, I don't know how to use Twitter, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, make a list, make a list of people that you think you would be interested in engaging with and then do some listening. And that doesn't mean that you jump into the conversation like two seconds after you made that list, you're going to have to maybe listen for a little while. And then when you see an entry point or you see a, an opportunity to weigh in with your own counsel. That's the that's the point where you jump in. You jump into the conversations that are already happening. You don't, you know start your own conversation and hope that somebody jumps in. And I think that that analysis paralysis kills a lot of inspired action. The listening part, as opposed to the action part. Mm, inspired action. I love that choice. Those choice of words. Inspired action. And I think you know 
everything you're saying, I think will resonate for any woman who's been out there, especially if they're in a, a corporate environment, uh, or actually not even, or an entrepreneurial one, and they're looking for help and they don't know how to do certain things, that it's really important to reach out um, to others. I'm wondering, so I think women are always looking for ways to connect personally and professionally. So it's not just professionally. I think women are hungry for meaningful connections. And I think, you know, you can have ones from your younger days. And then as you grow older, you love those people, but, you know, you have different interests and you want people who are aligned. Um, what advice can you give to someone who, you know, wants to bring together and people together in a unique way? And maybe it is like, you know, women who don't know each other, like the event that I went to, um, you know, what can you share from how you've curated these, these events? I always make my event about something bigger. So for example, the event that you came to in San Diego, the real galvanizing center or anchor event was that I had hired a docent and we were doing a private tour of the San Diego, San Diego Museum of only women artists. It's true. So That's right. That kind, of, that kind of narrowed who would be interested in wanting to learn about that too, right? Yeah. What am I doing? I'm leveling the playing field. You might all be in different sectors, but if you're coming to something like that, there's already something being said about you. You're probably somebody who engages in the arts. You're somebody who's probably a deeper thinker, or you're somebody who wants to be able to process history. You know, So I'm already leveling the playing field by who comes to something like that. Then the second piece is that right before the event, maybe a week out, I also introduce everybody on a common thread. And I don't just say, hey, Michelle, here's, you know, Susie, why don't you meet? I give everyone's name, title, and LinkedIn profile. So you can go in and already start to mine handles or tidbits about this person that you're going to meet in person and have talking points ready because if maybe that's where your sticking point is, you're not comfortable walking up to strangers. Nowadays, everybody's publishing everything on social media. All you have to do is go and look at the things that Michelle Lamoureux is, is passionate about. And you can say the next time you meet that person in person, hey, I noticed that you live in San Diego. I used to live in San Diego for 10 years. You know, is this restaurant still around? You know, but I think going that extra step and making sure everyone gets to meet each other is is also I, I'm melting the iceberg even before you hark in the front door of my my event, and then once you're at the event, you know the the wheels are in motion. But I am always always as a as somebody who's hosting the event, scanning the room. I'm scanning the room. Who's standing by themselves? Who's engaged in conversation? Who's a little bit shy? Who's sucking all the oxygen in the room? And I make sure that in the after part, and I think the after the big event part is very important to me because that's when everybody sits down for a dinner or for a lunch. And I go around in a round robin fashion and I ask you, what resonated for you? What's something that you saw in the women's stories today that you think that you could transpose into your life? And that's when I feel like that's giving people, again, more and more handles on how to engage with that person once I'm done with my rounds of questions and everybody's free to you know, talk to each other. And by the end, I can't pull people apart because they're so engaged because they've learned so much about each other because of the serious questions I've asked. But I'm making sure even the shyest person in the room gets equal airtime as the one that sucks all the oxygen in the room. And I don't think that most networking events do that. 
They definitely don't. I mean, I worked in corporate for over 15 years and I was at a networking event at least three to four times a week, whether it was morning, afternoon, evening, or all of the above. And I think what you're talking about is actually really interesting because you are so good at putting these together that I didn't connect the dots to what you just said. You're right. We were there learning about female artists. That was appealing to me. I grabbed my sister-in-law. I was like, maybe, you know, you'd find this interesting. Uh, One of the women that was attending that night curates, like, she has like a house full of rare, very expensive art. It was like, oh, I should have you all over to see my art at my home. I mean, so that's what drew her there. So it's really, it's interesting what you said. And then you had that open-ended question of, what, you know, what it resonated with you? What did you take away? And like you said, we went deeper as we did sit around the table afterwards Mm -hmm. um, because you can't really talk as much. You know, you are a little bit in the museum, but you're not really interacting as much until you sit down for that moment. And then that is where people bonded and started exchanging information. And again, I'm leading, I ask a bunch of questions. I'm sure some people find it annoying, but I'm actually leading with my natural curiosity. I actually want to know what resonated for you, which story resonated for you. What are your goals for next year? Why are they important? Like, how are you hardwired? And I think that's part of what had made me a great journalist is that I've always been curious about people, but I don't think that this curiosity doesn't have a place in the networking field or doesn't have a place when you're trying to build relationships with people that might be just doing a little bit better than you. Ask questions and just be curious about who that person is. Yeah, I love it because I used to work with um, attorneys and they can be uncomfortable at networking events. And a lot of them could be very introverted and be like, I don't know how to connect. And I'm like, first of all, be yourself. Don't think about, you're not there to pitch. You're there to listen, to ask those open-ended questions and stuff. But it's interesting because I think, you know, when you go to these events, people are like, (laughs) looking for the bar right away or trying to like just eat the cocktail. I mean, eat the the food that's being passed around because they are, they're so uncomfortable, but, but having a a structure like the way that you created is really, I think it's something everyone should be thinking about um, as they're, they're listening to this. I'm curious. So we've got the advent of the metaverse, which honestly, I think is just a disaster. I don't, that's me personally, maybe it's the Gen X in me. I feel like we need so much more in person and connecting in real life. You know, this idea that we're going to get lost even more on social because I think people are just, you know, we're just scrolling too much and getting too much data all at once. Um, I'm just curious do you recommend that when you are putting together an event that it happen in person or can it still be impactful online? I think it can be impactful online and Look, because of Omicron, events are canceling right and left. I have a dinner plan for tomorrow where two people just bailed out because they're just proactively worried about their own mortality. They're older, so they're not coming. And yeah. I mean, I'm doing an event on the 21st and people keep writing me saying I'm not traveling right now because of Omicron, so on and so forth. So it's a real thing. And we might be stuck in this alternate reality, i.e. the metaverse, for a little while longer because look, I don't have an event without people. I can sit there and just rah, rah, I'm going to do this anyway. But I don't have an event without people. If you don't want to get on a plane, you're not coming to New York, then then that's challenging for me. So let's, okay, so let's silo that for a second. You're going to be in this alternate universe for much longer. I'm actively exploring like AR and VR, um, virtual reality technology. Like what can I do to create a virtual um, dinner party 
where essentially you're still seated at a table because of like some glasses that you're wearing or, you know, something that your phone is allowing you to do. And I'm still asking those round robin questions, but instead of you physically being there, maybe there's an avatar of you that's engaging with each other in real time as if you were at the actual dinner. So I think that if you're willing to keep innovating, if you're willing to keep thinking of new ways for people to engage, then there's a possibility of being able to do this. Throughout the last 18 months, I've done bourbon tastings, I've done flower arranging, I've done wine tastings, all the stuff gets mailed to you, you come together on Zoom, you're arranging flowers together with the instruction of somebody who has been hired to do that. And then again, I'm going around in circles and asking questions so that everybody gets input. I think it's boring to just sit and listen to somebody talk at you. But if you're engaged and you know you're going to get called on and you're going to have to contribute to the conversation, there's a way for you to build culture. And I think that's really what we're what we're driving at here, Michelle, is like, how do you build culture? How do you create that stickiness so people feel like they're part of something that's bigger than them? Yeah. So can you talk more about that? So speak a little bit more into that. Like, what does that mean to you? And and give us a few more examples of how we can be thinking about that, whether it's a woman, you know, looking to make it to the C-suite and move up to make partner, whatever, and wants to use kind of what you're talking about today to build that culture, to build that connection, to, to make those um, more deeper uh, touch points with people. I mean, I'll give you two examples. For me personally, I yeah. love retreats. And I remember doing a retreat in Sonoma um, where I, I took eight women that didn't know each other before, took them away on a trip. You're up against, you know, an environment that you've never been in before with women you've never met before. Um, there's always stuff that happens in real time, but you're figuring those things out together. And that group has become a really strong friendship base that mm. still gets together five, six years later because of that moment that bonded them. So I think shared experiences that are just outside of your comfort zone can really bond people together. Um, I'll give you another example of culture. Mm. Um, there is an, a, a dentist who is in New Jersey. He's actually married to one of my members. And one of the ways that he builds culture in his office, especially through the pandemic, when people started to come back into the office is that every Friday, everybody had to wear the same color of shoes. That's so fun. And you know what? Like, listen, dentists are a dime a dozen, but because he had this bigger thing that people felt that they were a part of, he was able to retain his employees because there was an element of fun to their lives. It wasn't just about work. And if you've got fun employees who are happy to be there, that trickles down to your patients and the people that are paying you to be a patron in your business, your product, or your service. And so I think that building culture in that way can be something so simple, but people don't get it. Um, I, I, one of my students in my master class has one of the top performing teens in Canada, uh, it's a, a banking, a banking outfit. And one of the things that she did every week through the pandemic is hire somebody to do a workout every Friday morning and everybody had to show up in their workout gear and work out with this person. Again, building culture, making it about something bigger than the work. 
I love the examples you shared. So I feel like this has already been so interesting. And so, you know, the first example you gave is the museum experience that I had where you created something unifying and unique about that get together. You talked about shared experiences, uh, you know, the, the dentist with the, the color, you know, the same color shoes and a way of bonding people. And um, I think if people think about how to do something like that creatively, and then to talk, to touch upon the virtual piece, you know, whether you do, maybe it is a flower arranging, maybe that's with your friends and you say, Hey, invite a friend of yours who you think would invite, just, you know, and be interested in this to expand the group or mm-hmm. wine tasting. You could get a sommelier and uh, have pictures, right. Of I'm just thinking now as you're talking about it and make it really sort of fun um, with that common, you're all coming together for a shared experience around something. Okay. Um, and you have an event, Schedule. Did I see Marrakesh on your website? Oh, <laughs> so like- I, you know, now my business, like I said, will be 10 years next year. And yeah. um, I've created a mastermind because now I'm very clear on the kind of woman I want to have in the room. She's a good listener, not listening to respond, but processing at a deeper level to respond. Someone that has probably traveled and seen a bit of the world. They have a growth mindset already. There's somebody who believes in the power of networking, sees the value of what I'm creating and wants to show up not only just for their own success, but for the success of the group. Mm-hmm. So it's a very specific kind of person that I'm going after. But now I take eight of them and I put them on a 12-month journey together. You're at an inflection point. You have a goal that you want to achieve. And I'm taking you on a 12-month journey to achieve that goal much faster than you would if you were sitting by yourself. However, one of the uh, two sort of bookends for the kickoff as well as the nine-month mark is that I do an in-person event. And the first one is here in New York. But the nine-month mark, I have always wanted to do an event at the Four Seasons in Marrakesh. I think Marrakesh, Morocco is not on most people's radar screens. I'm fascinated by pushing people a little bit outside of their comfort zone to see what else is possible for them. So Morocco might seem exotic on many different levels, but I'm really creating a metaphor for pushing you so far out of your comfort zone to see what else is possible for you. I just got goosebumps. I think that's so powerful. And I love, I can see why your friends say you have this superpower and this unique way of you know, pulling this stuff together, because I don't think people are thinking like, you know, this way, especially, like I said, having been in corporate, a lot of this stuff is so stale and boring. It's the same formula and the same talking heads. And, you know, it's just people fall asleep <laughs> at them for yeah. a reason, I think. Um, yeah. So I think that's fantastic. Well, before we wrap up, tell me, is there anything that I didn't ask that you would like to share on this topic today? I... I get so much joy out of bringing people together and seeing what becomes possible because of the power of the collective. And that's why I created this mastermind. I'm still accepting applications up until January 20th. So if you'd like to apply, you can just go to joyadas.com, J-O-Y-A-D-A-S-S.com and click on the Samitha Lab Mastermind, and you can apply right there. I want to see all the applications and put the best eight together. Um, And again, like you can sit in a silo and try to divine the answer for the next three years, or you can realize that level of revenue and that goal creation by the end of 2022. Like how exciting is that? But again, it's for a very specific kind of person. So if you aren't that person, it may not be a fit. Right. Or or share it with a friend who it sounds like it does speak to, right? I mean, that's the thing. Um, Let's just end on just the importance of gathering to boost 
professional and um, bonds and advanced professionally. Let's just wrap up with that because let's drive that home. How important is it, Joya? Well, are we talking about in person or are we talking about virtually? Uh, either way, just in the importance of being able to develop those bonds and network and having start developing those meaningful connections. I think about like anytime I go away anymore, I like to get a house and put everybody in it because I think some of that magic happens on the way to breakfast or while you're sitting and having breakfast. It's not in the contrived, oh, here's this massive event moments. I think a lot of the magic happens in the little moments. So gathering is putting those people together in a room, whether it's virtually or otherwise, and then creating that space for people to be able to engage. But people are hungry for leadership. So you can't just stick them in a room and leave them to their own devices. You have to set the stage. You have to give people handles with which to engage with each other and then let the magic happen. My favorite part of any event is when all the introductions are made, all the wallflowers have been brought into the conversation. Everybody's animatedly talking to each other and I just get to stand back. There's always that moment at every event and I say, my work here is done. And I think that there's so much twitching and worrying and selling that goes into that moment, but that moment makes it all worth it. So beautiful. What a great way to end. And I love what you said about those magic moments happening in like on the walk to breakfast, right? It's not necessarily about the main event. It's these little, you know, quick moments that you're just connecting with somebody as you walk and you're relaxed in yourself. You're not like on. I think that's fantastic. And if anyone wants to learn more, head to um, joyadas.com. You can go there. And again, the show notes will be at thegoodlifecoach.com. And if people want to find you on Instagram, where are you the most active? You mentioned Twitter too. Where do you like to to engage Uh, with people? I play the most on Instagram and LinkedIn. So my handle is the same across the board. It's just joyadas for everything. Awesome. So great to be with you. And I'll also link our first interview so people can hear more about your story and the importance of perseverance. Because like I said, this conversation was so rich and I think people can learn so much from, you know, all that you've accomplished and the way that you've pivoted as an example of what's possible. So thank you for your time today. Michelle, I know that you're a woman in demand, so I appreciate you giving me the time as well. Till next time. Yes. Look forward to it. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I hope you gained some new information or inspiration for your life. That is that the essence of this show is to really wake up to what's possible for you to reclaim your beautiful voice and to really learn to love and prioritize yourself. So if you gained any value from any of the conversations you've tuned into, make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast player. You can do that right now on your phone. And please do consider leaving a rating and review if you have yet to do so on Apple Podcasts. It's actually how more women can find the show. And I really want to grow a community of women who are loving themselves and living full on. So thank you as always for tuning in. And I look forward to reconnecting with you next Wednesday. Bye for now.